It has been my practice every year that I've preached, as long as I can remember throughout my ministry, to take a statement of Scripture or a verse or part of a verse at the beginning of a new year and set it before my congregation as a motto text or a watchword, if you like. It is a word, in a sense, to set the tone for the year before us in the Lord's purpose and plan. Other ministers have, and they still do, preach a motto text to their congregations. Now, there's nothing in the Bible that says ministers must, must on the first Lord's Day of each year, preach a motto text to their congregation. I realize that. But it is something that many ministers have done and still do. They preach a motto text to their church. The great C.H. Spurgeon is a case in point. He was, of course, that 19th century Baptist minister in London, England, a mighty man of God, and he always preached every year a motto text. Now, his practice was somewhat unique because a man whom Spurgeon had never met, and he didn't meet him even to the day of his death, used to send a text to C.H. Spurgeon every year with the request that he preach a sermon upon that text. And for many years, Spurgeon did exactly that. And to those who felt that the Lord's servants should have sought the Lord for his own text to preach on, Spurgeon's answer was that he did pray for the right word, and he trusted in the good providence of God to guide the mind and heart of his anonymous friend. Now, I have no such anonymous donor of sermon ideas, and I'm not sure how I might feel about it if I did. But I do always look to the Lord for a word. And I believe that I have a word for this occasion this morning. It's Psalm 143. The words of verse 10, the first part of the text. It simply says, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Here is a text that speaks to us, quite obviously, concerning the will of God. But not only that, it refers to the doing of God's will. It's not merely, teach me to know thy will, though that's a good prayer. But it's, teach me to do thy will. There is a famous occasion in the book of Acts where certain believers said to the Apostle Paul, the will of the Lord be done. And if you study that, you'll find that it was in circumstances that were contrary to them. They really didn't want Paul to do what he was planning to do. But they submitted to God's purpose. And they said, the will of the Lord be done. In the disciples' prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, beginning, Our Father which art in heaven, Jesus taught his disciples to pray these words, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in Gethsemane's garden, the Savior himself prayed, did he not? Thy will be done. Isn't it interesting how these words quite often appear on tombstones? I've seen these words 
on headstones in graveyards. Thy will be done. And that, of course, is suggesting that there's a connection with sickness and death. And people are saying, well, thy will be done. This was the will of God for this person to pass when they did. But in the prayer that Jesus taught us, the context shows us that these words have to do with life. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, normal Christian living has to do with obedience to the will of God. That's it. A faithful Christian is someone who does God's will, moment by moment, day by day. And so this petition of the psalmist, which I want to set before you as a motto for 2023, is one that should be found on all of our lips all of the time, and not just on the first Lord's Day of a new year. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. I've got three simple things to say about this text. First of all, you will note that doing the will of God is a matter of discernment. Doing the will of God is a matter of discernment. If you are to do the will of God, you obviously must first know what that will is. Interestingly, Paul, in writing to the Colossians, told them, as he told many of his hearers and those to whom he wrote, that he was praying for them. And he told them the very things that he was praying about concerning them. And one of the things that he prayed for regarding the Colossians, in chapter 1, verse 9, it's recorded, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There you have it. Paul is praying that they might know, that they might discern the will of God. Doing the will of God is a matter of discernment. I must want to discover His will. I suppose it's elementary for me to say that the psalmist prayed in this fashion because he wanted to know he wanted to know what the will of God was. Teach me to do thy will. The Lord Jesus said something that's really interesting in John chapter 7 in this regard. John chapter 7 and verse 17. Notice carefully. If any man will do his will... He shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. If any man will do his will. It literally means, if we would know, we must first want to know. And it's not a problem with many. They don't really want to discern God's will. Never mind doing it. Out there in the world today, you have people, and that's the furthest thing from their minds, is doing what God wants. Is doing God's will. They're not interested in knowing what the will of God is. That's why they don't open their Bibles, they don't read their Bibles, they don't pay attention to their Bibles if they have one. They don't want to know. 
never mind doing the will of God, they're not willing or able or willing to discern His will. Not that it's always easy to determine what God's will is. Now, there are things that are very clearly God's will. There are statements in Scripture along that line. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul said, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. I don't have to pray about whether I should pray. I don't have to ask God if it's His will for me to read His Word, because He's told me that I am to read and study the Word. There are many things that are a given for Christians, knowing that these things are the will of God. It's the will of God that the church evangelize. It's the will of God that we preach the gospel. Because Jesus sent his disciples with these words, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we know that preaching the gospel is the will of God. But there are some things that it's not so easy to determine what the will of God is. You will know that there used to be a famous baseball player who had some very strange sayings. His name was Yogi Berra. Some very, very funny things that he used to say that I'll not repeat today. One of which, however, was, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. What does that mean? You've got a choice to make. Which way do I go? What is the way that I should go here? What's the decision that I should make here? And I say it's not always easy to determine what the will of the Lord is in a given situation as a believer. And so our eyes must be opened to God's direction. Our ears must be tuned to hear the voice of God by means of His Word and Spirit. And that's how God guides you. By His Word and by His Spirit. You don't lick your finger and put it in the air and see what way the wind is blowing to discover what the will of God is. Nor do you take the lucky dip approach to finding the will of God. You know what that is. You just close your eyes and you open your Bible and put your finger down whatever, wherever it lands. That's the will of God. There was a man once famously who did that. And his finger lighted on the text, Judas went out and hanged himself. He thought, well, that's not very good, so try again. The next verse that he found was, go and do thou likewise. That's not how you find the will of God. However, God does have a will concerning each of us individually. I'm convinced of that. I'm absolutely certain of that. A gracious purpose for every child of his. God doesn't just deal with his people en masse, but as individuals. The Lord has a purpose for you, and he has a purpose for me. And that will may be ascertained, it can be known, and it can be done. Teach me to do thy will. As Ephesians 5.17 puts it, the Lord wants you and I to know, he wants us to be understanding what the will of the Lord is. So this year, as the Lord gives you life and health and strength, seek to be certain of God's will. And if you're not certain that something is God's will, don't go in that direction. A preacher once took a shirt out of his wardrobe 
And they shouted over the banister rail to his wife downstairs, Honey, is this white shirt in the cupboard dirty or is it clean? She says, if it's doubtful, it's dirty. Right? You should know. If there's some doubt about it, there's some something oh that don't not quite sure about this, then that's not the will of God. To do that will of the Lord, you must know what it is. You must want to know what it is, however. You must want to know what it is. And if you want to know the will of God, the Lord will show you his will. So that's the first thing that we want to think about. The will of God is a matter of discernment. I must want to discover his will, and I must be willing to deny other wills. I must be willing to deny other wills. What do I mean by that? Well, let's begin with the will of self. Our own flesh. We like to have our own way, don't we? You're just like me. I know you are. And we like to have our own way. Maybe not all the time, but most times. Our will. Remember what Jesus prayed? Not my will. That can be very hard. That can be very, very hard. I don't want to make this about me, but just to give an illustration of the difficulty that sometimes is involved in doing the will of God, I remember very distinctly how the Lord had directed and guided me from Scripture, from circumstances by providence, that I was to leave my ministry in Glasgow, Scotland, and come to the United States. To people that I hardly knew, just a handful I'd met some of them once. But a situation I knew very little about. And I well remember calling my mother on the phone to tell her that we would be leaving as a family, including her grandchildren, our daughters, that we would be leaving the ministry that we were in, where we were living about 120 miles from our parents, to go 3,000 miles away across the the water. And I remember very distinctly, it wasn't a cell phone, it was one of those old landline phones. I remember lifting the phone about 10 or 12 times and putting it back down again. I couldn't make that call because I knew what would happen. Well, eventually I called and my mother answered the phone. She was bright and chirpy and cheery as usual, which made it worse. And I said, Mom, I've got something to tell you. I've received a request, a call to go to another church. Oh, she said, as you mentioned, a church in Northern Ireland, a few miles from where they lived. I said, no, Mom. And then it got real quiet on the other end of the phone. She says, oh, not not America. I said, yes, Mom, United States. She started to cry. That was pretty much the end of the phone call at that point. And I realized doing the will of God is not just hard for you, but it's hard for other people. Because the decisions that you make affect other people. They don't have any choice in the matter. They don't have any say in the matter. 
they also have to submit to the will of God. And I'm thankful for parents who always did and who always wanted us to do the will of God. And God knows that that was my mother's and my father's heart in the matter. The will of the Lord be done. But it's hard. Because you see, we have a will ourselves. And our own will has to give way again and again to God's will. We say, Lord, I would like this. And the Lord said, no, I want that. Remember the Lord Jesus again. What an example in everything. I came not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. The God-man became subservient in His humanity to the will of the Father. Not my will. So there's the will of self. Too often it's about what we want, isn't it? It's about what we want. So we must be willing to deny other wills. The will of self. And then there's the will of society. The will of other people. Paul referred to this in Ephesians chapter 2 as the course of this world. He was talking to those who were converted. And he's reminding them of the way it used to be before they were saved. Here's what he said. And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. The course of this world. In other words, you lived just the way other people live. You did the same things that other people in the world are doing. And that's what that means. The course of this world. Doing what others do. And Christians don't do what others do to a large degree. We've got a different world view. We've got different priorities. We have a different master. So there's the will of society. That has to be denied. The world says, do this, and we say, no, I'm not doing that. The world says, well, this is what you're supposed to do. And we say, no, that's not what I'm going to do. Because this is what God wants me to do. We have to deny the will of self. We have to deny the will of society. And then, of course, there's the will of Satan. You know, Satan has a will. The devil has a will. There's there's things that the devil wants. And Paul, writing to Timothy, said in 2 Timothy 2.25 that there are many who are taken captive by him at his will. The devil has a will. And aren't there so many today doing the devil's bidding? Not even aware of it themselves, they would laugh at you if you were to suggest such a thing. You're you're actually doing the devil's bidding. Don't even believe in the devil. But doing the will of God is a matter of discernment. Teach me to do thy will. We must know the will of God in order to do it. But not only is doing the will of God a matter of discernment, it is secondly a matter of dedication. Doing the will of God is a matter of dedication. Real commitment is needed not only in finding out what God's will is, but in doing it. The will of the Lord be done, those believers said in Acts. Teach me to do thy will, the psalmist said. 
There was an old Puritan who said, Knowledge without obedience is lame. Obedience without knowledge is blind. And we must never hope for acceptance if we offer the blind and the lame to God. When Saul was converted, that persecutor of the church, he was on his way to do Christians harm that day. On the Damascus Road, you can read that story in Acts chapter 9. He wasn't someone who was out there seeking for the truth. He wasn't, as some preachers tell us people are doing, on a quest to find God. It's not that he was unfulfilled in his life and looking for some purpose to life. Saul already had a purpose. He thought he already was serving God by killing Christians. That's what he believed. And that's what many today believe in the Islamic world when they kill those who are infidels. They believe they're doing the will of God. They don't believe they're doing Satan's will. They believe that that's what Allah wants them to do. This is what God wants them to do. And there are others in the world just like that. In false religions. When Saul was converted... He wasn't on some sort of quest to find God. He didn't think that there was a big hole in his heart that only Jesus could fill. That's the kind of nonsense we hear from preachers all over the place today. All these people out there, they're all looking for God. No, they're not. No, they're not. That's why churches like this are half empty, or nearly empty sometimes. People are not seeking after God. They're seeking to get away from God. What happened to Adam and Eve in the garden? We preached on this sometime recently. Adam didn't say, God, where are you? Where are you, God? He knew where God was. He and Eve were hiding amongst the trees of the garden. And it was the Lord who said, Adam, where art thou? God was seeking for him. He wasn't seeking for God. There is none that seeketh after God. And I tell you today, if you're a Christian, you would never, and I mean never, have sought the Lord if He had not sought you out first. It never would have happened. Because we have that within us which doesn't want God. Again, that's our own will. That's how Saul was. He's riding along there on his beast, going to do Christians harm. And all of a sudden, there's a light from heaven. And all of a sudden, there's a voice that comes. And it knocks him to the earth and he's laying there on the ground and he can't see anything. And he says, Lord, what will thou have me to do? You talk about instantaneous conversion. That's not a process. That's not somebody who kind of grew into being a Christian. That wasn't a covenant child who just through the years grew into being a child of God. What utter nonsense. This is a man who believed what he believed sincerely with all his heart. And that all changed in an instant when God got a hold of him. And what was his first thought? What is the will of God? What does God want me to do? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? There was an immediate dedication to doing God's will. And you see, doing the will of God is a matter of dedication. We must be dedicated to it completely. Completely. Again, let me quote to you from Colossians. Chapter 4 and verse 12. 
Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always labouring fervently for you in prayers. What did he pray about? That ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You know what that literally means? That the will of God would be the atmosphere or the environment in which they live their lives. Like living in a particular country or a particular location. They're living in the atmosphere of God's will. That's what he prayed for them. In other words, the whole of life is to be affected by and related to the will of God. The will of God is not just some little compartmentalized thing that you think about once on a Sunday. The will of God is the atmosphere in which we are to live. And that requires a total dedication. You know, when you consider the field of athletics or sports, whatever the sporting activity is, those who excel, those who excel, the cream that rises to the top, are the most dedicated. They look after their bodies. They eat right. They get proper rest. They get proper exercise. They get proper nutrition. They have people that are dedicated full time to their health, physios, and so on. They're absolutely 100% dedicated to what they're doing. Because they need to have that edge. Because it's that little edge that sets them apart from the rest. Somebody runs a 100 meter dash, a sprint. The winner wins by hundreds of seconds. Less than one hundredth of a second in some cases. They have to have that edge. Must be dedicated to it completely. That's how it should be for the Christian. This Christian life is something we're to work at and be dedicated to it completely. Not only that, we must be dedicated to it continuously. And here's the standard for doing God's will. We're back to the prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I think about what heaven must be like. And it's very difficult because there's not really a great deal in scripture about it. There really isn't, as far as detail. What are people doing in heaven? Our loved ones that have gone before, what, what, what is their experience right now? We have no clue. We have no conception of it. But one thing they're doing, and everyone in heaven is doing, the angels of heaven are doing, they're doing the will of God. That's what they're doing. The will of God. Thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? Well, it's done without intermission. There's never never any time, though there isn't any time. But because we're human, we have to find words to describe what we're talking about. There's never a moment, if you want to put it that way. There's never, never a time. There's never an occasion. There's never an instance 
when they're not doing the will of God. There's no break in their service. There's no ceasing where obedience is concerned. They do God's will continuously. Someone put it like this. In heaven, the will of God is done eagerly, swiftly, steadfastly, and thoroughly. Is that how we do the will of God? Or do we do the will of God with a heavy tread? Wishing we were somewhere else. Wishing we were doing something else. Do we do the will of God eagerly? Do we come to our Bibles and say, Lord, what have you got to say to me in your word today? Or do we say, oh, I've got to read that chapter today. Do we do the will of God swiftly? Not waiting. My wife likes to tease me about the fact that there are certain things that I know that I need to do. But I keep putting it off. Now don't be laughing husbands because you're just the same as what I am. You know what that's like. And it's a job, you've been thinking about it for a long time, you know it needs to be done. And more importantly, she knows it needs to be done. And just every once in a while, it'll be a little gentle reminder. Um, could you do that such and such a thing? Well, I, I heard you the first five times. Well, when are you going to do it? See, that's the problem. We're not eager and we're not swift to do the will of God sometimes. And we don't do it thoroughly right through to the end. There's probably nothing worse in the world than a quitter. You know what a quitter is? Somebody who just bails out. They start a job and they get about halfway through and then they just quit. And the Lord doesn't want us to be like that either. He told us so. No man having put his hand to the plough and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Plough on to the end. That's what we're to do. We must be dedicated to the will of God completely and dedicated to the will of God continuously. So folks, let us do God's will this year and let us do it no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. There was a famous cricketer in England. I know cricket is not a game that most Americans know anything about or care to know about. And when they watch it, they think it's the most boring thing they've ever seen in their lives. But then, when you're from the United Kingdom, that's how you feel about baseball and American football. But anyway, we'll not get into a war about those things. But cricket is a big deal in the United Kingdom, especially in England. Big deal. There's a lot of money to be made, a lot of prestige when you're a famous cricketer. And there was a famous cricketer in England in the 19th century, toward the end of that century called C.T. Studd. He was a fantastic batsman. He was like some of your sluggers in baseball. He had a very high average. He was scoring runs for fun. He was an amazing player. Even in those days, he had opportunities to make barrel loads of money, even though money then was not a big thing like it is today. But C.T. Studd gave up a career in cricket, left it completely, and went overseas to be a missionary in China, then in India, then in Africa. 
He famously said on one occasion when he was asked about his life and about the fact that he'd given up a career in cricket and all of the prestige and all of that, he said, listen, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice that I could make is too great for him. Doing the will of God, no matter what the cost. It's a matter of dedication. But as well as that, I want to say thirdly, that doing the will of God is a matter of delight. It's a matter of delight. There's a hymn in our book which says, Oh, I delight in his command, love to be led by his dear hand. His divine will is sweet to me, hallowed by blood-stained Calvary. Doing the will of God is a matter of delight. And it was the delight of the psalmist to do God's will. He said so in another place. And it is a messianic psalm. So it actually is a psalm that's speaking ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 40. Here's what it says. In verses 7 and 8. Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. When he prayed in Psalm 143, teach me to do thy will, it was the prayer of someone who knew God. And that's clear from the second part of the statement. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. There it is. Thou art my God. Here's someone who knows God, who loves God, who finds his ultimate joy in God. And he goes on to say, Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. See, there's joy in finding and in doing the will of God. There's great joy in it. Paul said to the Romans, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The will of God is good. It's good. And when the psalmist prays that he might be led to the land of uprightness. It suggests a felicity, a joy, a satisfaction that will only be complete in heaven itself. Because there in that happy land, the will of God is always done. Always. We don't always do the will of God, do we? That's why this message is a challenge to me and to you. We don't always do the will of God. We're not always willing to do the will of God. But in heaven the will of God is always done. And in that regard I can never understand those who think that they want to go to heaven when they die. When they're not a bit interested in serving God here on earth. Why would you want to be with God and worship Him continuously? Where heaven is an eternal Sabbath, when on the earth, that's about the last thing you want to do. You suddenly think that when you die, you're going to change to become a lover of God when you don't love God here. You're suddenly going to want to do the will of God always 
when here you're not interested in doing the will of God at all. It's an amazing thing to me that people talk about they want to go to heaven. when they, Why would you want to go to heaven? Do you know to the unsaved person, heaven would be hell. It would. Spurgeon once said that a thief could never be content in heaven because he would spend all his time plucking the feathers out of angels' wings. And someone who was a smart person wrote to Spurgeon and said, Mr. Spurgeon, I didn't like what you said in that sermon. Angels don't have wings. He said, well, when that man went to heaven, he would go around picking their pockets. See, the thief wouldn't suddenly change his stripes when he goes to heaven and become something other than a thief. That's the thing. As the tree falls, so shall it die. That's why you need to be converted here and now on the earth. This business of thinking that you're going to change the eternal destiny of somebody after they die by praying for them. It's so foolish and so futile. Now there's a happy land where the will of God is always done. And therefore for us to do the will of God here is to get ready for heaven before we ever go there. That's what it means. The will of God, doing the will of God, it's to enjoy a bit of heaven before we ever arrive in heaven. When we spend our earthly lives in doing God's will. That's getting us ready for our eternal home. So let's keep this thought before us this year. The will of God is not just something we are to understand, it's something we are to undertake. And as I close, let me just say this, that the text illustrates, because it is a prayer, it illustrates the importance of prayer, both in discovering and in doing the will of God. So he's praying, teach me to do thy will. We have to pray about the will of God quite often. Lord, what is thy will in this situation? What wilt thou have me to do? And we need to have confidence when we pray, don't we? And here is the confidence. 1 John 5.15 If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. God will hear us every time we pray according to his will. And once we know that God has heard us, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. So the crux of the matter is ascertaining what the will of God is. And that means finding out what the Word of God has to say on the matters about which we're praying. Some question in your mind, I wonder what God thinks of this. Well, read your Bible. Read your Bible. You'll find out there what God, what God has to say about that. Here's what God's attitude is to this. Here's what God be- wants you to believe about this, because this is what God believes about this. There are certain things that the Bible declares to be the will of God for every Christian, as we've already noted. There are specific commands and promises that are declarations of God's will for us. Holiness of life is God's will. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is God's will. And we can confidently pray for those things and know that God will hear us. It's God's will to build the church. And he doesn't say, I'll build your church. He says, I'll build my church. 
It's his church. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. But he'll build it. And so everything that we seek to do to build the church of Jesus Christ, that's, that's the will of God if we're doing it according to Scripture. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. We know it's his will. We can confidently pray for these things and God will hear us. There are cases where we will need to spend time with the Lord in his word, being careful to submit our wills to his. And we'll have to ask the Lord to convince us of his will in some matter by the work of his spirit applying the word to our hearts. And with that knowledge we can pray effectively. Someone said prayer is not a hit or miss activity. We need to learn God's will and pray accordingly and then we will obtain answers to our prayers. Teach me to do thy will for thou art my God lead me to the land of uprightness. God's spirit is good and in doing the will of God he would lead us to that place of joy. May he help us. May he help us this year. Amen.